your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan in the heart of enemy territory, downtown Toronto, alongside Brandon Pillar up in Collingwood. And we've got a great guest today. You might be wondering, why is Mike Knubel, former NHLer, on a Senators podcast? He played 56 games against Ottawa, never for them, although he did play for three original six teams. But we're stoked to have him because he was the head coach of the USNDP's team at the all top prospects game last season and not one but two Sens prospects were in that game and some scouts are saying that it was the best game they saw from a prospect all year so we'll get his take on that and of course look into a bit of his career and all the legends he got to play with we'll also take a look at Scott Wheeler's list his top 50 drafted prospects there's five senators more than any other team but the positioning on them that is up for debate that's exactly what we'll do and then we'll finish off the show wondering who else could Ottawa be after? Because Pierre Lebrun said they're not done. All that and more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast. Your team every day. Today is Friday, October 16th. And Pilsy, you ready to get mad at a list? I love getting mad at lists. I think that's that's something that at least the entire Twitterverse can accept is there's going to be lists uh, draft grades, prospect rankings, and I don't care who you are, you're going to get mad at something. So let's get into it. Okay, well, let's start at the top then. Seventh on the list is Timmy Stutzla. Let's not act, like, well, let's not act too surprised because this is Scott Wheeler's list and he was lower on Stutzla. He was lower on Jake Sanderson, which holy, we're going to have to wait to get to him. But once we do, we're going to roll right into Mike Knubel. But man, Timmy Stutzla at seven is a bit of a head-scratcher for me, but one thing I will note is that he has the top seven on his drafted list are all from this year's draft. Yeah, and I mean, that speaks volumes of how deep this draft is, right? We've been talking about it for a long time, and I think we're seeing it from prospect experts, reporters, scouts, etc. Like, everyone's gushing over these guys, and Look, Sens fans, I know you're sitting there being like, Stutzla was drafted at three. He was always either going to go second or third. How could you have him at seven? Look, there, he wasn't the only guy that had Stutzla lower on his list. Like, there was quite a few guys that had Stutzla five, six, seven, eight even. Like, EP, I think he was eighth on the list. So well, NHL teams had Rossi, who he has third, all the way down at nine because that's where he went in the draft. So Yeah, but I mean, where you go in the draft doesn't necessarily mean where you're ranked because, look, we, we'll get into Jake Sanderson later, but I don't think any other teams were going to draft Jake Sanderson in the top 10. That doesn't mean he's not a top 10 talent or doesn't belong there. It's just different teams have different boards and not everyone is in love with UND like the Ottawa Senators are. But staying on Stutzla, I'm not surprised that he's that low. The one surprise for me though, is that Holtz was ahead of him. I think I can see, um, you know, Raymond, Rossi, Perfetti, but Holtz being ahead of Stutzla, that's where I got kind of confused. Yeah, so let's just run through quickly the top 10. And we're not going to give it away. There's lots of great uh, additional information. Scott Wheeler, good guy. He's been on the show, and we'll get him on again. But it's Lafreniere 1, Byfield 2. And then he says it starts to open up after that. Rossi at 3, Perfetti 4, Lucas Raymond at 5, 
Alexander Holtz at six, and then there he is, Timmy Superstar at number seven. Yeah, see, I don't have a problem with the first three. Like Rossi, uh, Raymond, and Perfetti, I think I, I can see that, them being ahead of Stutzla, but Holtz was a head scratch for me. And look, who like really, we're getting mad at this list, but who cares? Like Timmy Stutzla is our guy. I think he's going to be electric. I'm excited. I'm, I'm on the Timmy Stutzla train now. So it doesn't matter if he ends up seventh on, uh, on a list. And I mean, even seventh on a top 50 prospect list when you have four other guys is pretty damn good. And let's get to the next guys, because I agree you, you're going to split hairs and that's fine. I think he should be at least four on this list. And I don't think it should be Marco Rossi at three, but I would have a little bit differently. If you want to split hairs and maybe have Perfetti or Lucas Raymond there, I wouldn't complain as much, but yeah, I, I don't stand for that. The Marco Rossi love, and I can't wait to be proven wrong. I know he'll be a good NHLer, but number three of all prospects, little rich for my taste. Number 27 on his list is Drake Batherson. And I love the write-up for him. I, like I said, we don't want to give too much away. The, they do great work at the athletic, but it's great. He just says, he's really good. Okay. You're probably tired of me saying this. I'm tired of writing it, but the good news is that it's likely the last time we're ever calling a prospect. Thank you. Next. So before we move on, Drizzy Drake, we got to give a shout out friend of the show. And what do you think? Let's just ask you point blank. How many points will Drake put up next year if he's given a top nine role with a bit of power play time? Could he get 15 goals? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 15 goals, I think, for sure, especially if he's getting power play time. For me, he's probably in between the, I don't know, 30, 40 point range, depending on how things go and how the lineup shakes up. But I think Drake could have a big year. And we talked to Scott Wheeler about Drake and we put up that graphic board on Twitter. Drake in Scott Wheeler's eyes before the draft, Drake was the best prospect out of the NHL. That's what, that's what he told us. So he obviously thinks highly of Drake and in his previous ranking of top 50 prospects, not in the NHL, Drake was number 18. So that just goes to show you how much this 2020 draft bumped things up. I'm not worried about Drake being here at all because he, he's going to be in the NHL next season. Like this is going to be, like you said, the last time we're labeling Drake Batheson as a prospect. Yeah, he's one of the oldest guys on this list, 22 years old. Remember, though, passed over in the draft before, a slower late bloomer, and the Sens are banking on that in this draft with Sokolov, uh, among others. So he's at 27, and you don't have to go far to find your next senator, just one spot, and that's Eric Branstrom. Very hard to evaluate, Wheeler says, because what makes him great at the AHL level is what's been holding him back at the NHL level, where he can't just evade checks left, right, and center. He's really going to have to earn every bit of offensive acumen that he gets at the next level. So do you think that he's a guy who's not going to be on this list much longer and make the jump, or is he due for one more year of seasoning? I've got him at one more year of seasoning. And when we do when we did our depth chart, I think we had way too many replies being like, oh, where's Branstrom? Where's Branstrom? Look, we know what Branstrom's like in Belleville. We've seen a lot of him there, let me tell you. And when he's down there, like you said, in the AHL, it's clear his skill. But in the NHL, he's not quite there yet. And that's fine. What's the rush on a guy like this? Like this is a this is a prized prospect. Like there's no rush. I have utmost confidence that eventually if not this year then next year for sure Branstrom will be an NHL defenseman yeah it's as simple as that and if he's in Belleville one more year that would not be detrimental by any means number 46 on this list another player I think should spend one more year in Belleville he's got the 
the waiver eligibility, so he wouldn't need to clear, whereas Logan Brown would. And that's Josh Norris because he's only played one year pro, albeit very spectacular, rookie of the year in the American Hockey League. He comes in at number 46, previously ranked at 40. And he's Wheeler was saying he was having to make tough decisions of who to leave off this list once we're getting towards the bottom of it, 46 out of 50 here. But he just couldn't leave him off because although there's not one skill that stands out for Josh Norris, when you combine the whole package of what he brings, elite at face-offs, great shot on the one-timer side on the power play, creates his own offense. And really, when you score 30 goals as a 20-year-old in the AHL, you have to be considered for any top prospects list. Definitely. I mean, rookie of the year in the the top development league in in hockey, really, in the AHL. So that speaks volumes. And Ross, I know before you said you think he needs another year of seasoning in Belleville. You were all aboard the train to have Norris start in the NHL this season. What changed your mind that now you're considering that maybe he needs a little more time? Well, I think that Anisimov has a spot no matter what, whether you like it or not. His salary dictates that. His veteran a presence although and I mean, I mean he's a still a decent player like you're not you're not expecting him to light it up but he still contributes out there like Artie Party had a great couple of games last season yeah yeah and I gotta give him credit the first game I got uh, up to Ottawa for he scored the OT winner against Dallas right before the Chris Phillips game uh, which feels like 10 years ago but yeah. um, no I think Anisimov has a spot so I think there's one spot at center and that's before we'll get to later in the show if Ottawa will be looking for a player maybe a center but I, th- I look at him versus Logan Brown as the matchup. There's one spot for yep. those two guys, and the clock's ticking on Logan Brown. If he's not moved in this offseason, I mean, training camp will be the deciding factor. DJ Smith isn't going to give Logan Brown a spot, but it's make it or break it time for him. Whereas Josh Norris, if he plays 20 more games in the AHL level, there's going to be injuries, and he's the first guy to get called up. And th- that's where y- you look as a manager – and the waiver eligibility does matter because you can send him up and down, no problem. Mm-hmm. If you cut Logan Brown, he's going he's gonna to get picked up. Like, let's be honest. So, I mean, just from that standpoint, that's where I, I've moved Logan Brown a little bit higher. But in terms of skill, I think I'm still higher on, on Josh Norris. I just think in a year that might be shortened, it's going to be super weird anyways. There's no better opportunity than, than now to get Logan Brown his reps he needs to see what you have at the NHL level. Yeah, nice. That's that's basically my uh, thinking too. Because yeah, Nor- Norris just has one year of pro experience under his belt. Like, give him a little more time, and when he's ready, once once he's not able to go up and down, you leave him up there for good. And before that one year of pro hockey, and I mean, he didn't show any ill effects, but he came off of an injury that held him out of the second half of his last season at Michigan as well. He only played 17 games two years ago, but then he came in, showed no ill effects, 56 games, 61 points at the NHL level and got a cup of coffee, uh, three games at the NHL level. And he was also a part of that great Bobby Ryan game. It was Brady, Norris, and and uh, Bobby Ryan for, for that beauty against Vancouver. So doesn't mean I'm any less high on Josh Norris, but I do think that, well, and we want Belleville to still be a wagon next year. We can't have every one of their good players playing up. Like let's, let's let these guys win together, which we thought would have happened this past season, but ultimately didn't. So uh, there's going to be a good opportunity there. Uh, As for Jake Sanderson, great opportunity for growth in his game. And I'm not, I'm not as upset as I should be. I think a lot of sense Twitter was like, wait, 49th out of 50 for the fifth overall pick. What? And here's what I'll say to that. 
Scott Wheeler was low on him from the beginning. This kid was a high riser towards the end of the year, and he's a July birthday. So where I'm going to be interested is how he jumps between this list and next year's list. Is that how you see this as well, or would you have liked to see him in the crack the top 40? And again, look, we, we're getting mad at lists. We're splitting hairs here, but it, it does seem very alarming that you see all those top seven guys on his list, and Jake Sanderson was drafted fifth overall. Now let's, to, to just put it in perspective, 48th on this list was Jack Quinn, another top 10 pick. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point too. And the thing with Sanderson is he, he's not like dynamic and flashy. So when you're seeing a prospect, you're not like, wow, you can really see how he uses these skills here. And you'll hear it in the Knubel interview and uh, extensively in the Craig Button interviews. Stay along for that. That's a good one. But Monday and Tuesday. Yep. Jake Sanderson does all the little things right over and over and over and over and over again. And that maybe it doesn't pop out as much, but when, when you're looking at long-term development, that's going to be a huge factor. And I think next year we're going to see after we see a year, well, depending how the season works, a season of him playing at UND at the college level and dominating, we know he's going to play top minutes. Uh, the coach has already <laughs> proclaimed that he's going to be one of their guys that they lean on heavily. He's going to have an amazing season in my opinion, and that's going to bump him up big time in next year's prospect rankings. How awesome is it that we know he's going to play? And the timing, UND, they know what's up. They're creating a bubble environment on their campus, inviting these other teams in, and they're playing 11 games in, I think, 25 days. Uh, Brad Barry was on TSN 1200. He said it's basically going to be like an NHL-style schedule. So that's good for their development. And it starts November 20th. Well, that leads right into World Junior Camp. So Jake Sanderson is going to be playing consistent high-level hockey, which can't be said for many le- for all the leagues. We see the Quebec League shutting down for two weeks. We see the WHL. Ridley Gregg can't start until January. So to get this head start, I think, is going to be huge for the UND fighting Senators. Absolutely. And, and uh, sticking on the UND uh, train, one guy who got bumped off, Wheeler's list JBD so that's a little interesting that a guy who we have highly touted he had pretty good season last year in UND he had a good showing at the world juniors he's left off the top 50 prospects and again that just goes to show you how deep and how skilled this 2020 draft was well from UND to Michigan because not only Josh Norris who's on this list but Mike Knubel go look at his college stats this guy was ridiculous if you guys remember Brendan Morrison uh from famed in Vancouver on that line with Naslin and Bertuzzi. That was his centerman at Michigan. Those guys combined for a ton of points. Fun fact about Mike Knubel, we bring up at the end of the interview all the superstars that he got a chance to play with. He's the only player to play in the NHL. Some guys did it internationally with one, NHL with the other. He's the only guy to play with Wayne Gretzky and Alex Ovechkin, the two best goal scorers of all time. Man, that would give you an energy boost. And to get an energy boost for me, I turn to Built Bar because Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar and it comes in 16 amazing flavors. So you never get sick and tired of eating the same thing over and over. If you don't like nuts, that's cool. We got eight chocolate nut flavors. But if you want to go nuts, we got eight of those that are perfect for when you need a boost. They're 100% covered in chocolate, and they're great for the health-conscious guy or gal. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in this delicious treat that comes in low-calorie, low-sugar, but high in protein and high in fiber. Pillsy, time for your pick of the week. 
my pick of the week. And Ross, I got the wrapper right here. I just finished my Built Bar. I wanted a little extra boost for when we do this interview. And look at what flavor it is, toffee almond. And the thing, the thing with Built Bar is this is the best part about them. Some of these protein bars you get, they're hard, they're chunky, they're, you gotta use your back molars to break them off to bite it. These have the nicest, softest, chewiest texture. They're so tasty, so flavorful. The protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, it's Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, see all the wonderful flavors for yourself, and when you're at BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and our listeners get $10 off your first order. You got to try it for yourself. You're guaranteed to go back. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code Lock On. like I said, Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your first order of Built Bar. All right, here he is, Mike Knubel. All right, we now welcome a very special guest, a 16-year NHL veteran with over 1,000 games to his name, a Stanley Cup champion with stops in Detroit, New York, Boston, Philly, and Washington, plus represented the United States at the 06 Olympics. Mike Knubel, welcome to the Locked On Senators podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me today. Hey, really appreciate you being here. I'm tempted to focus on your career, all the legends you got to play with. But after retiring, you've gotten into coaching. And at this year's All-American Top Prospects game, you're in charge of a team starring Senators draft picks, Jake Sanderson and Tyler Clevin. Before we get to those two, uh, they're the two highest picked players from that game, by the way. But I'm curious about how that works. Do you get a practice or two with these guys or are they just coming in and playing the game night of? Well... That, that team especially has been together, right? Uh, the U.S. program kids, for people don't know, listen to your program, are familiar with it. You know, they're based in, in, in Detroit suburb of Plymouth, and they play together all year for two years. They're picked as uh, rising 16-year-olds, and so they're together two years, and that's kind of the cream of crop in the U.S. So that team I got to manage, got to play together. They were familiar with each other, and they played a group of USHL players uh, that, that literally probably had the morning skate together and that was about it. So I had met the team the night before they did some, um, like dinners and, and Scott Gomez was the other coach. So we tell, uh, John Van Beesbrook and USA hockey, they put on a thing for, for both teams and, and, and kind of a dinner and, and talk about hockey and life in general. And then we have a morning skate and then, uh, the one game and then everybody gets out of there. So it happened pretty quick. Oh, that's awesome because it's a little bit different. Everyone up here knows the CHL top prospects game and everyone just kind of comes in. It's a quick event. You, got, you kind of have the celebrity coaches that have stayed for, for more of a time. I noticed we, in what you guys did, it's more of a, an exchange. So is that something that you asked to do or did they come and approach you to coach that team? You know what? I got a call from John Van Beesbrook like in January or whatever it was. And my phone rang. You know, your phone pops up and it's John Van Beesbrook, and I'm like thinking like I'm in trouble. I mean, this is the <laughs> boss, the USA Hockey, right? I'm like, did I say something or do something? And then then he asked. So, and I'm a local guy. Like I'm around Grand Rapids in Detroit. I was even in Detroit that weekend, so I'm cheap, right? They can just I can just drive to the rink. They had to bring Gomer Gomer in from like California or something. So spent the travel budget on him and. I didn't even need a hotel. We were, like I said, we were already there playing hockey with our kids. So I, I even took my own hotel. But yeah, it's kind of like a nice little exchange and kind of coaches who are free at that point. And, you know, where I work part time with the American League team here in Grand Rapids. And, and so that's part of the reason why I don't work full time is because I like coaching my kids. I have a boy at Western Michigan and, 
a daughter is a freshman at Michigan State, and then uh, my young guy is a 16-year-old. I enjoy being with those guys. So I do my stuff in Grand Rapids, which has been a lot of fun getting to know the – I've done that the last six or seven years since Jeff Blash has been there. And, and so I kind of still have my foot in the door at high-level coaching, which is great to have. Well, you may have been the convenient uh, coaching choice, but you got to give yourself some credit here. Easy 6-1 win for Team Knubel in the BioSteel All-American hockey game. And one of the stars, actually the star of the game, was Jake Sanderson, Ottawa's newest draft pick at number five. And he's often touted for his defensive game. But I want to know, Mike, what kind of offensive upside do you see from a guy like Sanderson? Because we got a glimpse of it in that game with some real nice plays yeah sure I was just kind of getting ready for this talk and kind of reviewed some of the video from the game and you know because when you're you kind of forget it's a lot I mean once COVID I mean you forget everything that's happened you know uh yeah and I mean one of his uh, you know he happened to be MVP of the game um I think throughout that game you could really tell he was pushing uh, uh to be a top player in that game and so what happens is that that game and, and obviously you, you heard that score six to one like I alluded to earlier in our talk, that that was kind of more, it really helped that team was cohesive, you know, and they, they knew where to go. But, you know, he was up in every rush. And one of the great, great rushes that, that he had during that game was, uh, I think he scooped it up somewhere, maybe at his own dots or top circles and got going and really picked up and accelerated through, uh, through neutral zone, kicked it wide, drove the middle, got it back, and then uh, made a pass uh, kind of almost across his body and backwards to a guy back door. So, it was sort of the hockey and the great plays that you, you know, a rushing defenseman would make uh, throughout the, you know, that, that fans in Ottawa would love to see and hope to see. But, you know, I think, I think maybe, you know, we'll see how that translates to the National League. But, you know, the good thing is he was flying up the ice and he can skate and he's comfortable with a puck on a stick, you know. And so, um, you know, it's exciting to see a player show glimpses of that. And, and, and that game might have, you know, really propelled them up the draft board since everything basically pretty well got shut off at that point. All the major international events that they would have finished their scouting ratings ended. And, and so people had to go on that. And that's a great taste to leave in somebody's mouth. And I think as a fan, you'd be happy. Like, Harry, here's one, of, here's one of our number one prospects, one of our one number one guys. And he was on that stage and he took the advantage of that stage and he really wanted to basically put the exclamation point on, on, on where he was in the season. And granted, nobody could predict COVID and where all this was going to go. But to be able to take that, to rise the occasion and take that event and, and, and be really ready to like, like have a coming out party uh, right in front of, I mean, if there were 300 people in this place, there were 290 were scouts. I mean, it's just like, it's just, it's everybody's there and they were, and they were watching and, and it was good. It was a, the night that I think everybody was hoping he was going to have, USA Hockey was hoping he was going to have that night and he had it. You mentioned the skating aspect of his game, and you're no stranger to his father's game, Jeff Sanderson, who is known as being an excellent skater. And you can only see the the potential of Jake when you look at he's a late birthday. I think he missed next year's cutoff by barely two months. So the the tools are there, but you you mentioned that your son and, and his family as well, you kind of grew up towards the same time. Was Jake t- like your typical late bloomer, or did he always have it in him that you're like, oh man, this is going to be a high pick one day? Well, we were, we were so young together as when we all played together in Philadelphia that, I mean, literally, you know, dressing up for Halloween, going to Halloween dressed <laughs> as a cowboy. And I have, I have a great picture and I, and, and I have it. And I, I told Jake about it at the, at the tournament. I'm like, you should see this picture that, that uh, my wife and his mom, Ellen, were very good friends. And Jeff, we all kind of grew up, you know, we all boys the same age. And, 
And so, you know, you dress all the kids up for Halloween, you plop them down and you make them sit there and smile and take a picture. And, and so somehow it popped up. Uh, I don't know where it showed up in the house, but all of a sudden I, I looked at it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's that's that Jake Sanderson. And and uh, it was, so it was kind of funny. But, you know, they were even I mean, this is even before they were putting on skates, you know. And so, you know, just mini sticks. Question, eh? no, I can't answer that question because they weren't even playing hockey yet. You know? Yeah, so that's awesome. It, yeah. But uh, yeah. And then. You know, I mean, you know, it says, you know, like a fan should know you're not really from Whitefish, Montana. That's where they'd summer. I mean, he grew up playing up in Calgary or Edmonton or wherever, you know, kind of out west there. So, yeah, don't be fooled by that exactly, you know. So the the scouting report now, scouts are going to be looking at Halloween costumes for top defensemen. <laughs> Who got the cowboy costume? That's yeah. where that's where the upside is, eh? Especially my in Montana. Scouting on, my scouting report in back in the day, like Snickers bars. Yeah. <laughs> Snickers <laughs> over Mars, duly noted. Snickers over Mars, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, for sure. So now I want to get into the other defenseman that the Ottawa Senators drafted from University of North Dakota while he's going there, and that's Tyler Clevin. And uh, the Senators, they traded up to select Clevin. They were very high on him. He's a polarizing prospect for a lot of reporters, scouts, even Ross and I uh, were, weren't really sure where we stood in him. What, from what you saw, what were his best skills? And then what are some things you think he's going to continue to develop as he uh, continues at UND? Yeah, it's funny, you know, so in that, in that, you come into that, and I'd seen these guys play because my, my son was playing the USHL, so you see him play, but you kind of pay attention, but you're kind of watching your own kids, so you're not seeing everything, and, and then talking with Seth, Seth Appert, who was their coach at the time, and kind of, you know, we sat down in his office, talked about his players, and he really liked Clevin, that, that he felt like he might be the one kid to drop the gloves in this game, you know, and I don't, I don't want, and I don't want to like, I don't want to send him out of some sort of preconceived notion, but um, like he, he understands like what he's got to do to be a good player. And, and sometimes you get, don't get to show it these days anymore, you know, in junior hockey, they've really cut down on a lot of that stuff, but I think he's got a little more bite to him. And like you say, this is my take on him one night and having him on a team and listening to his coach talk about him, but you know, certainly a, a much more physical guy. And, and, you know, but like I said, if he's playing for the U S program, he, he's a very good hockey player and, and probably not quite a, as offensive as Jake and, and, and not quite as well-rounded, obviously, with, with all the scouts stuff, but still a darn good player. And obviously, Otto was thinking uh, very highly of him to bump up and try and grab him there. So he's a bigger guy, too. I want to say he's like – is he like 6'3 or 6'4? I saw 6'4, yeah, like over 200 pounds, too. Kid, so, you know, and, and, and obviously, you know, that used to equate to a certain definition when you were – when, when, when we played, if you're six four, kind of you were you were going to be have to be tough, stay at home, you know. And obviously the games change a bit, you know. And and he might have a little bit of that to him, but you know, obviously he's a player that can get around the ice. And obviously he can't he has to be able to skate great because he wouldn't play for the program if he couldn't. So um, you know, you're going to get another uh, big big dude on, on on defense, and that's always a good thing. Now it might take a little longer or whatever to get there, but he'll he'll get there, I'm sure. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Three out of the six defensemen on UND's hockey team next year sends prospects with Sanderson, Clevin, and they also have Jacob Bernard Docker, a first rounder from a couple of years ago. Talk about relying on on the staff at UND. But okay. final fi- final question from uh, me here, and we'd be remiss not to let you go before asking about some of the legends you were able to play with, like Stevie Y. Think about how long it took him to get that cup. You were there when he finally got over the hump. A young Joe Thornton bursting onto the scene. Even uh, Peter Forsberg in Philly and then Wayne Gretzky's final season. Then you helped welcome Alex Ovechkin into the league. I'm sure that there's some common themes between the character traits of these guys. But which one of them had uh, the biggest impact on your career? And I don't know. They're, you know, they're really great, great guys. I mean, Peter probably did personally, like, 
actually playing with a guy, you know, like, and, you know, kind of really helped me. Turn, well, I can go back. Actually, Joe did. Joe did. I played with Joe and Glenn Murray. They had a huge effect. I mean, Joe took me from here as a player to up here. I was a third or fourth liner. Third play with Joe, I went to a top line guy and probably got me another 10 years in the league. And I, I will always remember that. I'll always be thankful because uh, he was such a, such a big part of my life, you know. And, and, you know, playing with Peter, we were really good together. Got to play with Alex a little bit. Um, I just mean, I never got, never was on Steve's line, not much, unless, but he did school. He's, you know what, I actually, he's on uh, one of your TSN highlights or the top 50 goals or whatever. And there's one we're playing Edmonton and he gets knocked down. He's sliding in the corner. He kind of hooks it behind his head. Uh, really sweet play. And I get to bang it in the open net. So I made, I made a real nice highlight because of big effort uh, uh him. And then, you know, to get traded from Detroit to New York when I was a young guy and play with Wayne Gretzky. I mean, it's, there's enough said there. And, uh, I still remember the day um, when he declared it was his last game, and we happened to be last game in Canada was Ottawa, right? I was at the game. Yeah, yeah we were going home, and we were, what's the hotel, the Chateau Laurier? Is that the one? Yeah, right town? downtown, right next and, to Parliament. So the Rangers were staying there, and if that was a Thursday night game, I think he announced it like Wednesday. We were coming somewhere from out west, or it, so we didn't. We were coming from New York. We were coming from somewhere back to Ottawa, then going to New York and playing Pittsburgh in the final, but. I'll still remember to this day, the National Guard was surrounding the hotel, right? It's a rectangle hotel, yeah. right? Just in the middle of, of town, right? And they just had that thing surrounded and, and with uh, soldiers out front because uh, everybody knew that Wayne was there. It was one of my more memorable, amazing things. And it didn't even occur in the rink, right? It occurred at the hotel. and Yeah, like an hour and a half away. Yeah, just get yeah, health, yeah, exactly. <laughs> getting on the bus and seeing that the uh, you know the national guard was out, like just keeping people away was it was that was pretty pretty amazing moment. So I'm thrilled. Looking back, like I'm thrilled with the guys. I got I mean, touched all the bases. Got to play with some really really good players. Guys that were toward the end. Guys that were up and coming. Guys that were in the middle of their careers. It was uh, I'm very lucky in that respect. Yeah, you you got to play with some absolute legends, and that uh, must have been a real treat. But going, last question for me, uh, Mike, going from the NHL, you also got a chance to play in the 2006 Olympics, and Sens fans have really fallen in love with the style of play that Brady Kachuk brings to his game. You got to play with Keith Walt Kachuk. Do you have any stories from uh, being along with him in the Olympics? I, I feel like he must have been a real glue guy in the locker room. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I didn't know Keith very well. I've probably seen him more now on the scouting or just out and about. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, he was one of the, you know, I, I caught the back end. That 06 group was kind of the back end of that USA group, probably that ran the mid-90s to about the mid-2000s. You know, it was the Kachuks, the Chelios, the, um, you know, Roenick wasn't on that team. But it was like Billy Guerin, Doug Waite, you know, lots of guys that were really good players and, and – uh, and uh, I remember stepping on the first on the ice the first game against Latvia, and you're looking at the players. Uh, you know, you see the jersey names going by, and I'm like, man, should I even be out here with these guys? I feel like uh, I don't even belong out here with these guys. But you know, uh, the big thing I remember about Keith Kachuk, yeah, he he liked to after games he'd have a bathrobe on, you know, and he liked to roll around in a bathrobe, which I thought was it had a big Walt written right there and and uh, right on his thing, which I thought was great, but. His boys have certainly turned out to be, uh, you know, and I know Ottawa's in love with them as player with with their with their Kachuk and as a player, and Calgary loves their guy, and they've just turned out to be uh, absolute uh, terrors on the ice, and they're going to be around for a long time and tremendous players and cornerstone guys, and and so they well uh, Keith Keith Kachuk was a fabulous player. I think he was a pioneer. I mean, he had 50 goals and he had 250 penalty minutes and. He was a, he was could score. He, he you know, he's as tough as they come, and the, and I think the boys are kind of 
this generation's version of him, you know, and I have evolved and, and, and kind of evolved with time here. And they're basically him and reincarnated. So he's got to be really proud of those two. Yeah, it's awesome to watch that style of rambunctious play. And I mean, the Senators are known for drafting guys who have that lineage there. Well, I did this after the draft because obviously Mark Gregg and Jeff Sanderson were added to the fathers who played. So sends players in the organization, their dads combined for over 4,000 games. Right. So we know your son Cole is well on his way. So, hey, maybe one day we'll get to add your over 1,000 games to the, the Bloodlines resume in Ottawa. Mike Knubel, thanks so much for joining us on the Locked On Senators podcast. Really appreciate your time today. Oh, well, thanks very much, guys. Good luck to you. Thanks a bunch to Mike Knubel for joining us. What a career he had, honestly. He's like top 30 in, in goals by an American, top 40 in games played by an American, and you heard all the great names of the players that he got to play with. Wow, that is just sick. Now, uh, as we turn our attention to Bretsky 23 on Twitter. Funny, we're talking about Gretzky. Now, Bretsky's got a question for us saying, I think Granlin on a one-year deal for the Sens would be make sense for both parties. He could play one C between Brady and Daddy or play on the second left wing spot. Also, he'd be on the first power play unit. It gives Granlin a good chance to boost his value and he could be shipped to a contender at the deadline. Pilsy, thoughts? I, I like this tweet from Bretsky because he hits on a lot of good points. First of all, I want to make kind of a blanket statement. I don't think the Senators need or should go out to acquire a number one center. They've built their their entire plan since the rebuild has been to build through the draft. And they have so many centers down the pipe pipeline who are going to be good centers. They just need the time. So it's not an, a need. It's not an absolute need. But what I like about his tweet here is saying that you get him on a one-year deal. And Granlin made it very clear. I was reading a translated article from um, Finland, and he made it very clear to reporters that he was not happy with his situation in Nashville. He felt like he didn't have the right opportunities to succeed. It just wasn't a fit, and he wasn't able to put up points. So I think what you're going to see is – Granlin do what a bunch of other guys are doing. Taylor Hall did it. Sign a one-year big ticket. Try to boost your points. Maybe go to a, a contender at the deadline and boost your stock. And hopefully next free agency opens things up and then you sign your big ticket. And I think that's where you could get a nice handshake deal with the centers here because I don't think they want to lock in a number one center long term. They've got them waiting. And they want to see what you have. You spent a third overall pick on a guy, Timmy Stutzla, who you're hoping is going to be your number one center. So I think if you're going into it with the mindset that we want to help you help us, let's make this work for both of us, I think it could work really well because him beside Dadnov would be electric. He is a shifty player. He's not the biggest guy under six feet tall, but he also had a bit of a tough time. You mentioned that he wasn't happy in Nashville. It does take time to adjust when you get traded to a new team. I don't know why Peter Bondra came to mind in Ottawa. Like, high hopes. He came with such an offensive pedigree, just like Granlin did. Like, this guy put up 60, 70 points even. Uh, 69 is his career high, 67, 54. And then even the year he got traded, he had 49 points in 63 games. Then he goes to Nashville, one goal, five points in the final 16 games of the season. Kind of rebounded this year. He did have 17 goals, but I, I don't know if, if he's really the kind of guy I would be looking for. He's He is a center, although not the best at face-offs, under 50% almost every single season that he's played. But it could be one of those situations. We saw Brady takes a ton of face-offs where you could have Brady take the face-off and then they could switch spots because Granlin's agility does serve the middle of the ice well. I am interested to see where he lands. I would 
I would honestly probably circle back with, with Duclair before I look this route. And I know he's not a centerman and that might be a, a bit of a hot take, but I think the Duclair just brings a bunch more to his game in the full package. Whereas Granlin, when he's not contributing offensively, I don't know if he's doing a whole lot. He did get Selkie votes in 2015, 16, but I mean, beyond that, like these past couple of years, I think he's been a bit more of a product of his system in terms of Minnesota. They play a tight defensive style. And then in Nashville, like, I don't think anything went right for him. So it's hard for me to overlook what happened in Nashville, but I do think that whatever team signs him, he's the kind of guy who has a pretty low floor but high ceiling. So risk-reward type situation. On a one-year deal, though, I wouldn't be complaining. Yeah, and I think that's where it works because you, you want to have faith in the guys that you drafted that they're going to come up. So you don't want to put too many roadblocks or or guys ahead of them because you, you want guys like Norris and Josh Brown to feel like, look, I have an opportunity here. If I work hard and prove myself, I can be slotted in as a number two or even number one center at one one day. Like I, I don't think Josh Norris is an, an elite number one center, but I can see him being a good 1A, 1B type of centerman. So if you can get someone to to help shoulder that load down the middle. I don't think it's Granlin long-term, but I'm with you. Short-term, I think maybe this could work. Well, Granlin signed his deal at the most opportune time right after his best season statistically in the NHL. He signed a three-year, $17.25 million deal that had a base salary of 6.5 this past season, but the AAV was 5.75. There's no way he's getting even close to that, is he? No, no, I'd, I'd be shocked if he even gets $5 million, to be honest, after, uh, like you said, a tough season. So it's going to be really interesting to see where Granlin goes. Honestly, for me, like, I'm at a point where they could roll this roster out now, and I'd be happy with it. So the fact that Dorian's looking at more moves is just just so curious like what direction is he going to go in next who knows yeah I think that it has to be a bodies in bodies out situation that's why I think he's probably looking more the trade route because there is that clump at left wing and we know you love your balsers and I think he's a great player too but between balsers Abramov and Schlappick it just seems like those three guys not all three of them will ever be able to make the team at the same time there's just well and Formanton throw him into the mix too right although he can play in Belleville again that's fine this year I don't think that's a problem with him getting top line minutes he was he was relegated he was great on the pk obviously but he was on the second power play unit last year i think that he still has another level to get to in belleville so i'm not worried about him as much it's these 22 23 year olds that i'm really starting to say okay are, are you an nhler and we'll get buttons take on monday about if schlappick is, is going to be an nhler even the second round pick uh, in 2015 so uh, there's lots of moving parts on this roster and I just think that yeah if you're going to add anyone at this point and whether if you can get someone to take an Isimov and maybe keep half his salary add another center throw in a, a second rounder that we have three of next year that I think is the real play and that bumps everyone down into a slot that I think would be a lot more comfortable to see so There's lots of time here for Pierre Dorian to decide what is best, but after his latest move, I mean, just like we say we trust Trent Mann, Pierre Dorian's starting to earn a lot of trust. And thanks for Brett to reaching out to us at Send Central on Twitter. If you have any questions you want us to cover ever, make sure you mention us there. We'll always get to it. We'll be back tomorrow, Send Central, Citizen Saturdays. We'll also be breaking down that Melnick article, and then Monday, Tuesday, Craig Button, and then another special guest later next week. Your daily home. For the Ottawa Senators, for Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.